0: We are uh, taking just a a little break from the book of James, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 2 today. So if you want to follow along, we are going to be in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water pots that sat there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, Fill the pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim, And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man serves the good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you have kept the good wine until now." This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Um, This is is one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible when it comes to, I guess you might say, human contact, or human relationships. um, Because what you see between Jesus and his mother is a very human relationship. And we're going to walk through that uh, here today, but I I think this is such a wonderful passage to me because you see the kind of relationship that he had with his mother. And in the Jewish household, uh, well, you could say like all households, the mother was very important to the raising of the child. And in fact, in Jewish households, you would trace your Judaism back through your mother. So if you, ever had, if you were ever asked the question, are you Jewish, you would respond, well, yes, I'm Jewish. And then they would say, well, well how are you Jewish? And you would either say, well, I was converted, okay, so I, I, I heard the message of Judaism and I converted and I went through the process. Or you would say, well, my mother is Jewish and I was born from her. And then they would say, oh, you are Jewish. So this relationship that Jesus has with, has with his mother is very important. And, and I think we can really glean something from this relationship for our Christian lives here today. So Jesus is at a wedding. He's got his disciples with him. And a problem has occurred. The problem is they've run out of wine. Now, at a wedding in, in uh, these biblical times, you wouldn't just have a wedding for a day, you would have a wedding for a whole week. It was a celebration of two people coming together. And so you would be going through all of the food, all of the wine, fairly regularly, and Mary somehow finds out that the household has run out of wine to serve to the guests. Now, we don't know what day this is. We don't know how far into the wedding they are. All Mary knows is that this could be an embarrassment for the one who's holding the ceremony. And so she goes and talks to Jesus, and, and I love the way, I love the way she approaches him, because do you notice she doesn't ask him to do anything? What does she say? They've run, they've run out of wine. Anybody else have a mom like this? My uh, my grandma is actually this way with me my whole life. I, I could be right in front of her, and she will look through me to my mother and say, do you think Josh could do this for me? And likewise, my mother, I could turn around, and my mother would look through me at her and say, yeah, he can do that. And I'm standing right there. No one's asked me if I can do anything. They've talked about it, and then they've concluded, yeah, Josh can do that for you, not a problem. So when Mary approaches Jesus with this request, she has trust that her son can deal with the problem. She sees that somebody else is running out of wine. This is a social embarrassment. This is going to ruin the wedding. And so she looks at her son and says, I think he can do something about this. Now, up to this point, Jesus has not performed any miracles. Up to this point, the uh, verse 11 you find in John chapter 2, it says he had not performed a miracle up to that point. So we don't know if Mary is approaching Jesus asking for a miracle or if she's asking him... for for maybe to go out with his disciples and buy some wine and bring it back to the wedding. Oftentimes, guests were expected to provide for the wedding to offset the cost. We, We don't know what Mary's intention was, except that she knew that there was a problem, and she knew that her son could solve the problem, and so she approaches her son and says, Here is the problem. Do something about it, please. And Jesus' response is rather bold because he says no. Now, I know he, he's the son of God. He, he is the living God. He can do anything he wants. But Mary is still his mother, isn't she? There is still honor that he has to pay to her as his mother, And also, has anyone ever told their mother no? If you have, how did that go for you? But Jesus responds in a really interesting way. He says, woman, my time has not yet come. Now, on the face of it, that that looks like a very rude statement. It was actually a very respectful statement. Uh, When he says, woman... In the, in the Greek, what that actually was is it was something that you would call a woman out of respect. So a better translation might be ma'am or miss. Ma'am, w- my time has not yet come. And so that first part of it, ma'am, no, is, is a respectful statement. But what's interesting is why would you call your mother ma'am? You call her mom. Ma'am is a distant relationship. Ma'am is what you call somebody, maybe in a public setting, like what we're at today. Ma'am is what you would call a stranger, or ma'am might be somebody that you're close with, but it's not a relative, and so you say, excuse me, miss, excuse me, ma'am. And so when Jesus calls Mary woman, or calls her ma'am, he's putting up this this boundary to sort of remind her maybe, hey, hold on a minute. I've got my timing that I have to go through. And what Jesus is referencing here when he says, my time has not yet come, he's referring to the fact that once he starts his miracles is when he manifests his glory or shows to people that he is God. And once he begins to show people that he is God, that he is the Messiah, his road to the cross begins. And what we find out later in the book of John, John chapter 5, is he tells the people, I can only do what I see my father doing. And so what he's telling Mary is he's saying, hold on a minute, you cannot dictate to me what I do here. I can only do what my father is calling me to do. And so what he says to her is he said, I've heard your request, but at the moment, the timing isn't right. I can't fulfill this. So you've got to be bold to approach your mom and say no when she asks you to do something. But you've got to be even more bold like Mary is to just assume that God's going to do what you tell him to do. (laughs) Because notice what Mary does next. The conversation doesn't end. He says, no, my time has not yet come. And Mary goes to the servants and says, Whatever he tells you to do, just do it. Now, if I'm a disciple and I'm watching this conversation, I'm scratching my head because, you know, here's my teacher. I'm supposed to learn from him how to be a teacher of the law, and he just told his own mother no, and she ignored him, and now she's telling the servants to listen to him. At this point, I would imagine, you know, Kind of like in, in the old westerns when the bad guy would walk in the saloon, you would duck behind the table. I sort of imagine that's what the disciples are doing at this moment because they don't know what's going to happen next. But Mary turns, turns to the servants and, and says, just do what he tells you to do. But, ma'am, didn't, didn't he just say he wasn't going to help you? He'll help. <laughs> just, just listen to him. He'll help. And it works. It works. Sure enough, Jesus approaches the servants and he says, grab the water pots, fill them with water, and then, and then he changes it into wine. And, and not just that, it's, it's the best wine. So, so usually you would serve the good wine first. That's the beginning of the celebration and as people got used to it, as people were enjoying themselves, you would then start to, to give maybe the cheap wine, the watered-down wine. Probably how we would compare it today. If you've ever had anybody at your house and, and you start out maybe by making the good coffee, so you make a pot of, of nice, fresh, French, French roast Starbucks coffee. That's, that's some good stuff. And so you make that pot first and everybody has a cup of coffee and you're enjoying the evening and then you think, we need some more coffee. But we're out of the good Starbucks. Well, what do we have? Well, I think we have a can of the Folgers in the back of the shelf. Why don't we make that next? That's what they did at weddings. They would start out with the expensive stuff, and then they would go to the cheap stuff. But then when Mary interceded and asked Jesus to help out, he went and he made better wine than what they were originally serving at the wedding. So not only only did he bring out something good, he brought out something better than what they originally had. Jesus performs this miracle and in verse 11, it says that this was the beginning of his miracles and this was the moment that his disciples believed. Sure enough, just as we go back and and, and Jesus says, my time has not yet come, we get to verse 11, his time has come. He is now on the road to the cross. He is now beginning his ministry where he is going to manifest God's glory in his life and people are going to come to believe. All because Mary didn't take no for an answer. And on the face of it, it sort of feels feels like maybe Mary is is nagging. On the face of it, it sort of feels like well, hold on a minute. If, if God tells you no, you need to take that no for an answer and move on. But actually, if you look throughout Old Testament history and, and even some of the, the people that Jesus would interact with, they say no, God says no, but then these people continue, and they continue to push. We actually look back in Genesis chapter 32 uh, when Jacob is wrestling with this mysterious man and, and he won't let the man go. And he says, I won't let you go until you give me a blessing. He won't take no for an answer. And then later on, when he gets his blessing, he then names that place saying, this is where I wrestled with God. So Jacob is wrestling with God, and he won't take no for an answer. He says to God, I want your blessing. You must give it to me. We see it also with, with Moses later on as, as he's going up to Mount Sinai and he's receiving the law from God and then, uh, and then he finds out that the people have made a golden calf and they're worshiping it and God gets upset. Do you remember that story? God says to Moses, step aside, I'm going to destroy these people and I will raise up for you a new people and then I'll take you into the promised land. And Moses intercedes and he says, no, God, if you do that, take me as well. This is your people. That's some boldness. If God told me to step aside because he has to deal with people, I ain't getting in the way. I don't have that kind of courage, but Moses did. And then later on, God even says to Moses, he, he, he's expressing that that the Israelites are, have just been disobeying so much. He says, You guys go in without me. I'll take you to the promised land, but I'm not going in. And how does Moses intercede? He says, no, I'm I'm not going to let you do that. If you don't go with us, we're not going to go. We're going to follow you. And then probably the biggest example is when you get to the book of Joshua. As there's a battle going on, the sun is starting to set, and Joshua sees that if they had just a little bit more sunlight, they can get through the rest of the battle. He doesn't even go to God. He says to the sun, stand still. And then he says to the moon, you stand still too. We're going to win this battle. And God overhears it and says, I'm going to hold the sun still and the moon still so you can finish this battle. And of course, what we see in that moment is that is God working through Joshua That is God telling Joshua what to ask for so that he can give it, but there's a boldness that Joshua has that he's going to tell the sun and the moon to stand still, and it does. Later on in that passage, it says, nowhere has it occurred before or after that this would happen. So there's a boldness that we're called to when we approach God. There's a boldness... That we are given by God to approach Him and out of faith ask Him what we need. Dare I say, we're called by God to pester Him for the things that He wants to give us. So where do we go with with all of this? Well, the first application that we have here today is... is, uh, You are, we are called to pray on behalf of other people. Notice what Mary does. This isn't Mary's wedding. She's just a guest at the wedding like Jesus is. But she overhears what's going on in the wedding, and in her heart, she doesn't want to see this family suffer embarrassment and shame in the community. And so she intercedes for them. I I don't even know if she talked to them about it. She just saw that they had a need, and so she approached Jesus for that need. We are called to do the same thing in our Christian lives. to, To look around and see what kind of needs do others have, and to boldly approach God with those needs for other people. This is very important in our Christian lives. Because it allows others to hand off their burden and it allows us to pick up that burden for them. This is called intercession. It's when, it's when you see that somebody needs God and so you just begin to pray for them. And, and you approach Jesus and you, and, and you say to them, you know, I prayed for you today. I prayed for you yesterday. I'm going to continue praying for you until the, prayer of, until the need that you have is lifted by God. So we're called to do that. We're, we're called to see what prayers other people need and, and to pray for them. The second point that we have here is that miracles require prayer and they're a sign for the unbeliever. So what do we mean by this? Well, If there's a need, and that need requires a miracle, can you perform that miracle? No, no, you can't perform that miracle. Do we know someone who can perform the miracle? Absolutely. We know God. God can do whatever He wants. He created the universe, He created everything in it, He can change whatever He wants. But it requires that we approach him and pray for that miracle. Some of us here today are praying for a miracle. Some of us today are needing to continue to approach God. And and that also goes back to intercession. Some of us are in need of a miracle and we need others to help us pray. We need others to pray alongside of us for that miracle to occur. And then one of the things I, I always pray when I'm praying for a miracle, is that this would be a sign to those who don't believe. Um, one of the stories I heard was, uh, was a, um, a pastor that had been diagnosed with cancer. And he had got, gone in and, and gotten the, the results. And so he said, well, I, I'm going to go and get a second opinion at the next doctor. So they had paperwork transferred to the next doctor. In the meantime, his congregation was praying for a miracle. And, and when he got to the next doctor, he had the test results again, and the test results came back that he was cancer-free. And, of course, the church and the pastor, they saw this as a miracle, and the doctor said, oh, they must have messed up at the last doctor's office. But that pastor used it as a witnessing moment to that doctor and said, no, the last office had it right, but a miracle has occurred in my life, and he used that as a moment to evangelize to this doctor. There's other moments where, where when we see a miracle occur, when we, when we see something that we know God has done, we use it to engage others and say, God can do this for your life. The next point, point three, uh, God's no is an issue of his timing. I don't know about you, but I am still learning what it means to be patient with the Lord and listen to his timing. I'm still learning what it means when I say, God, I, I need this, or at least I think I need this. I would like you to do this, and then God says no. Or God doesn't give an answer. Or God, I know, he, <laughs> I know he's saying something to me. I'm just trying to figure it out. We must not lose faith or hope that God is listening and that God is going to do something about the requests that we give him. It's just an issue of his timing. That's how Jesus responded to Mary. He reminded her, Mary, mom, woman, i got to wait for the Father's timing. Once the Father tells me, then I can do it. Just because you ask doesn't mean I can do it right away. We need to trust in God's timing for our life. That when we go to him with a need and and he responds differently than what we expect or he says no or he says not now, we can patiently wait and say, okay, I understand. This is God's timing. His timing is always best. And then finally, the last point here. Persistence is an act of faith. Faith. Um, if, if you notice the title of my sermon, uh, A Nagging Mother, but we crossed out nagging because really what Mary was was a faithful mother. Mary was faithful to God and she knew what to pray for. This is a reminder to us that we're allowed to approach God multiple times and continue to ask for the same thing over and over and over again. Now there are times to be sure where God has answered us and has laid it on our heart that it's a no and he wants us to move in a different direction. That's different. That's about discernment. That's about following God's will. What I'm talking about here is making sure that we understand God doesn't get annoyed with you. Maybe I need to say that again. God does not get annoyed with us. God wants to hear from us. God wants us to approach him more than once with, with, with request of prayer, with request of miracles, with requests for other people. So the issue that we're talking about here is an issue of persistence, an issue of faithfulness. So as we leave this place, as we go out into the world, let's remember we can approach God with any request that we have, We're called to pray for miracles. We're called to pray for other people. And we're called to be persistent in those prayers. Let's pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness in listening to us. Thank you, God, that we can go to you time and time again, that we can lift up, requests a prayer to you, that we can uh, lift up requests for a miracle, that that we can lift up to you anything that you put on our hearts. So God, we pray that you continue to lead us and guide us in this time. We pray that you continue to lead and guide us in all the things that we say and do. And as we leave this place, Lord, we pray for a miracle. Uh, We pray that you would fulfill that miracle and we pray, God, that this would be a sign to others. This would be a way for us to evangelize and to spread the gospel in your name. Amen.